Welcome to For Real Estate, a podcast about the greater Portland, Maine real estate market for buyers, sellers, and industry professionals. I'm Nova Tower, your host and realtor at Portside Real Estate Group. Hi, hello, I'm back. I've been gone for a minute. I took some family vacation time at the end of August and into Labor Day weekend, and then my whole house got tackled by back-to-school season and the accompanying back-to-school germs. I had my second bout of COVID, first time for my husband and my kids, both kids, followed by other miscellaneous bugs, and now here we are, and it's almost October. Time is hilarious. September is also just a time warp for me every year, even when I'm not sick for the whole month. I find myself in September asking everyone around me, is September like this for everyone or is this just my thing? I mean, there's back to school season for families with kids, which can be a big shift in energy and routines. I know it is for us. There's also a seasonal shift and a change in the natural light as the sun is snowbirding its way south towards the equator. The packing away of flip-flops, re-emergence of boots, and all the other tasks that come along with the change, like don't forget to schedule your boiler cleaning and check in with your snow removal service for the upcoming season, so on. On top of these seasonal shifts, I have some big family dates in September that get me every year. The anniversary of my father's passing is in September. This year was 19 years since he passed, which means he's now been gone for more years of my life than he was alive for. That took a little extra focus from me this year. Also in September, eight years ago, I married my husband. And two years later in September, we had our first baby, who is now not a baby. She is six. All of these family anniversaries put me into a state of reflection and nostalgia and a lot of planning and executing of celebrations. If there's a therapist out there listening, please give me a call if you can explain to me why, with all of this naturally going on in September, why do I also choose to add in more things into my life, usually with work? Like, for example, I signed up to take the main broker's course this month to upgrade my real estate license. That has me doing real, actual homework for the first time in a long time. For no rational reason, I decided now is the time to build a new website for my business. And then there's all my volunteer commitments, which for some reason I'm throwing myself into with more vigor than is even being asked of me. There's also the day-to-day work of real estate brokering that always picks up mid-September. Setting aside 2020 and 2021, which broke from seasonal trends, the typical line chart around here flows like this. Spring market is super busy, roughly March to July, plus or minus a little bit on either end year over year. Sometime in late July, it starts to slow to a summer's pace, which is still quite active, but not as busy as the spring, with lots of people going on vacation in August or otherwise focused on back-to-school time. By mid-September, I always see another spike in activity as people refocus on real estate in a September-October rush to get it sorted before the holidays and winter. Transactions and listing volume tend to reach their slowest pace Thanksgiving through February, with February usually showing the fewest number of transactions in the whole year. This trend holds true as far back as I've looked at the data, which is roughly 20 or so years. This is why my family, we're not really spring and summer vacationers, but we do ski our hearts out all winter long and typically chase that sun down to the tropics once there's at least two feet of snow on the ground. 
As expected this year, my phone started ringing a lot mid-September with new buyers looking to capitalize on the market shift. I want to talk to those folks today, the buyers who are showing up right now looking to capitalize on the market. I figured this was fair since the last episode was all about pricing strategies for sellers. Today, we'll talk about offering strategies for buyers. Let's set the tone with some market stats for Greater Portland. We are going to be looking at August of 2022 since September is not quite over yet and I don't have that full month of stats, so we'll look at September in the next episode. For now, looking at August of 2022 in the greater Portland area, I'm going to break it out by property type. So looking at single family homes, we have a median sales price in August of 550000 This is up 10% from August of 2021, but actually down 4.3% from July of 2022. We have a median days on market of six, which is pretty much the same and unchanged from last year, but is up 9.1%. So just to point out for a second, you know, sometimes when we're looking at these stats, a lot of it is going to be owing to natural seasonal rhythms in the real estate market, sometimes going to be outliers that skew stats one way or another. We're looking at one month, um, so we're not looking at trends over time. Just keep that in mind. I think it's interesting to point out median days on market is unchanged from August of last year, even though it is up from July. In general, I think what I'm seeing is some properties are maybe starting to hang around a little bit longer than they were during, during the heat of the COVID market, but not by a huge amount in greater Portland. We still have properties that are, for the most part, selling within the first week of listing. List price received. So for single family homes in August, 2022, we have a 105.2%. So what this means is that properties are selling on average 5.2% above asking. That is down 1.1% of August of last year and down 2.1% from July. So just to note that on the whole, while there are properties that are maybe not as performing as well now as they were last year, we're still averaging above asking in the greater Portland single family market. Our month's supply of inventory is coming in at 0.9%. So 0.9 of one month, that's less than one month supply. This is up from last year, but down from July. If you listened to the last episode, you would have heard me talking about this metric and what it means. There are some benchmarks we use to discuss you know, whether a market is a buyer's market, a seller's market, and those numbers are usually like this. Zero to three month supply is considered a super tight competitive seller's market. Three to six months is something neutral. You know, maybe there's some equilibrium between supply and demand there. And anything over six months is generally considered to be a buyer's market. So we're still pretty tight at 0.9. Moving on to condos, we have a median sales price of 455,000, which is up from both August of 2021 by 24% and up from July by 8.2%. We have median days on market, which is six, which is pretty much unchanged. That's about where it was August of 2021 and July of 2022. List price received is 102.5%. That's down from last year and last month, but very minor, you know, by less than 2% in both of those categories. Month supply, we have 1.6. That's up from last year and up from the previous month. August of 2022 multifamilies, we have median sales price of 720,000, which is up from last year by a big number, 30.6%, and up from the previous month as well. 
Median days on market, that's changed a bit in the last couple months. We have 10 median days on market. That's unchanged from this time last year, but up 42% from the previous month. You know, where we only have closed sales um, amounting, we only have 19 closed sales in this category in August of 2022. That's kind of a hard, it's not a huge sample size. Um, so maybe there's some outliers there that are skewing some numbers month over month. We'll have to just watch this one over time and see what it does. We do have a list price received of below 100%. So unlike condos and single family homes, we have property selling below asking. That is down 99.2%. That's down 1.4% from this time last year, and it's down 2.5% from the previous month. So just to point out, even though it is below that 100% threshold, it hasn't changed by a massive number. Um, You know, in the multi-market, even last year when things were really, really competitive and interest rates were a lot more attractive to investors, we were still only at an average of just barely above 100%. Months of supply of inventory, we have 2.1. So again, we're still within that zero to three threshold. That number is down from last year, but up from the previous month. Looking at land, land is a different thing. So these numbers are gonna sound a lot different here. We have a median sales price of 137,000. That's down 17% from last year and 31% from the previous month. Again, I'm gonna note, there's only actually been seven closed sales in this category in the last month. So remember, small sample size outliers can really skew things. So median days on market was 25. Uh, That's up from previous month down from last year. List price received 106.7%. So good bit over asking, despite the fact that we have some metrics here that maybe indicate more of a buyer's market. For example, we have a month supply inventory of 11.7 months. So that would put us into that. If If we're using the metrics, that would put us into a buyer's market. these numbers tell us factually what's happening in the market. I want to talk a little bit about some trends that I'm seeing and some buyer behavior that I'm seeing. The thing I want to talk about specifically today is offer timelines. More specifically, I want to talk about the lack thereof, which is currently the direction we're trending in. In a super competitive market like the pandemic field market, just about every single listing followed an offer timeline. Maybe it went live in the MLS as a coming soon, starting with showings next week, or it came live on a Tuesday or Wednesday calling for showings starting the next day. Either way, offers are usually due after the weekend and response timeline is 24 hours. These days, now that the market has shifted from the pandemic-fueled demand of 2020 through early 2022, most listings have dropped the timeline. Not all, but most. And even if they have a timeline, they often note seller reserves the right to accept an offer in advance, which frankly is a trend I loathe. Basically, it's saying we have an offer timeline, but psych, it's fake, just Josh in, we'll take offers in advance. To this I say, stop gaslighting me. Just pick a reality, people, and let's all live in it together. Either a timeline or no timeline. It's also common to put a listing out with no timeline initially, but then to revise the listing with a timeline after you see what kind of activity you get. Since activity isn't always easy to predict for a variety of reasons, this is a strategy that I do respect. Most listings are hitting the market now with no timeline, at least initially. 
buyers. What does this mean for you? What should you offer? When should you offer? Are you going to be competing against other people? Before I talk about that, always I have to do my little disclaimer dance. Everything is relative to how excited you are about the listing and also the particular set of circumstances around that property and your financials. So if you want the best advice, seek it from your own broker and make sure you're communicating your level of enthusiasm for a property. If your enthusiasm is high and you feel like this property is the one for you and you definitely don't want to lose it, your broker needs to know that. If you're feeling ambivalent and could take it, but only for a specific set of terms, you'd leave it otherwise, then express that. Rightly so, your broker's advice will change based on your goals. Also, remember, if you've signed a representation agreement, you have an agency relationship, meaning client-agent privileges like confidentiality and fiduciary best interest. Take advantage of that and communicate everything you're thinking and feeling so that your broker can customize their advice and strategy based on your true goals. It is not to your advantage to hold your cards close to your chest when you have an agency relationship. Do beware if you don't. If you haven't signed an agreement, your information might not be as protected as you think. So what does it mean for you as a buyer if a listing comes on with no offer timeline? If you feel like this listing might be the one, it means time is of the essence. Communicate with your broker as soon as that listing hits your inbox and then make whatever effort you can to get in for a showing promptly. If you can't get there for three or four days, just be prepared that listing may be gone by then. And maybe it won't, but no matter what, if there is no timeline, it means the property is not going to wait for you to get there and see it and consider an offer. On the flip side, if you are interested but don't like the price point or you're a little ambivalent about it, maybe it would work for you, but it's not totally perfect and you'd only want it under certain terms, Perhaps then the strategy is hang back until after a few days of showings and an open house because the market has shifted. And perhaps if they're one of those listings that doesn't sell in the first week or two, maybe then you have a shot at a deal below asking or with more favorable terms. The obvious here is just that you have to be prepared to lose the property if you've bet the wrong direction. I want to zoom in on a specific scenario that I'm seeing a lot as buyer expectations seem a little confused lately with inflation and rising rates and fear of looming recession and mixed messages out there in the news about the housing market. You've even heard some of that in the stats that I reviewed earlier. Sales volume is down, pricing is up. Let's say you want the property. You've got in quickly for a showing. Disclosures look good. It ticks your boxes. The price is within your range. You're ready to offer. You definitely want it. You're not ambivalent. You would take it at asking price. Maybe even you would take it slightly above because the comps your broker showed you support the price and more. But of course, you don't want to pay asking or more if you don't have to. Maybe your broker has even been pretty thorough and has scanned their showing calendar and gives you a sense of how many showings are currently scheduled and what kind of interest they're getting. You think to yourself, hey, you know, there's only a few showings. There's a few more tomorrow. I've been hearing the news. The COVID market is over. Maybe Uncle Joe has been posting every day on Facebook that the economy is going to collapse. So maybe you think that means now is the time to get a good deal. But what does that mean right now? To that I say, we need to define what constitutes a good deal in this market. In the most simplest of terms, we can describe offer terms as being below market, at market, and above market value. 
I think defining what constitutes a good deal comes down to knowing your market and yourself and your goals. As you heard in the stats earlier, we are still averaging above asking in this area across most categories. So if you absolutely want the property, you can afford it, and the value has been proofed out by the comps, and you have a good chance to be the only offer in, then I would suggest getting it locked up under contract without competition at asking price and comfortable terms is in fact an outstanding deal. You should also consider that there is more than just price point to thinking about what constitutes a really good deal in this market. In the past couple of years, we've been seeing way over asking pricing with many, if not all contingencies waived or at least very dramatically modified in the seller's advantage. Now that things have shifted, even if price point hasn't come down as dramatically as some buyers would like, the ability to get things under contract with more buyer-friendly terms is back. Some buyers in that scenario might even be inclined to offer just ever so slightly above asking as a gesture to the seller to say, I am dedicated and respectful of your property value and pick me, pick me, pick me. Now that might seem silly to some to offer over asking if you're not in competition. And I definitely would not advise that as an across the board strategy. But what I mean when I say over asking, it's such a negligible amount of money that I'm talking about that it really is more of a strategic gesture to try to elicit a very quick response from the seller to prevent others from getting in the door. It can have the added benefit of setting a positive tone with the seller, which can help you down the line if you're gonna try to negotiate post inspections. So by gesture amount, I mean, something like this. If the asking price is $8.95, maybe someone rounds up to $9. If it's $3.49, maybe you offer $3.50. If you can't round up, maybe you just add on, right? So if it's $1.2 million, that can become, you know, $1,203,000. 204 if you like even numbers. That's a real thing, people. On the other hand, if you're a buyer out there who's coming to the market now specifically looking to get a below market value, then that's a different goal and you might want to focus your property search on properties that have been listed on market for a minimum of seven to ten days and really the longer the better and that's a realistic goal these days that was not really a realistic goal for the last couple years but now where we are if that's what you're coming into it with that's doable it just doesn't work if you're looking at a property that is still fresh less than a week on the market in a competitive area with showing activities steadily coming in and price to the comps In that case, your likelihood of winning a below market bid is not great. Most likely you'll end up negotiating back and forth and that takes time. I've had some negotiations take as long as a week. Most might take one to two days and many end before they can get to completion because another offer comes in. Because in the meantime, while you're negotiating over what is often a relatively small amount of money, typically anywhere from two to 6% of the asking price, the seller is using that time to continue showing and possibly even collect another offer. Before you know it, you might just be in a bidding war and offering more than asking. Or even worse, you get cut out right away and you never even get a chance to amend your offer. The other thing that can happen to a low offer on a fresh listing is the seller can get emotional about it and feel insulted by the offer. So the seller doesn't even want to respond to you right away. Maybe they just reject it and that's the end of that. Or maybe instead they plan with their broker to defer response and they immediately call everyone who's already shown the property and everyone's scheduled in the next 24 hours. They say, hey, 
We've got an offer in, so hurry up and get yours in. Now you've helped the listing broker and the seller by creating urgency among other buyer prospects. And if it elicits even one other offer, it will likely be better than yours if they are coming at it from a multiple offer mentality, and then you're out. So in that case, all you've done is help the seller get a better deal. By the way, to put real numbers behind this, if we are talking about negotiating 2 to 6% off the top with median sale prices in our area, we're talking about something like 15 to 30,000 or in the mid luxury range more like 50 to 75,000. Not to say that these sums are not meaningful, right? Like if we're talking about liquid cash in the bank, that's a lot of money. But if we're thinking about it bundled into a mortgage amortized over 30 years, Actually, it's not as much as you think for your monthly budget or your down payment. You're moving the needle very little by attempting to negotiate that off the top of your purchase price. In fact, actually, side note, in general, I find it's much more useful to most buyers' financial profiles to negotiate for cash towards closing costs, or right now, a returning trend from the old days of high interest rates is to have the seller pay down points on your loan to bring your interest rate down. That last one doesn't make sense for everyone, and it has a lot to do with how long you are likely to own the property, but it is worth considering in the right circumstances. For whatever psychological hilarity, I do find that many sellers are more attached to their overall purchase price than they are to their net takeaway. So if you are in fact so determined to sneak a below market value deal on a fresh listing to the point that you're willing to lose the property you might want to build your seller concession in through closing costs or points instead of knocking down the purchase price. I don't know why this works. Maybe for some sellers, it's pride in their home or just that they have become emotionally attached to the listing price, but sometimes they would rather give money back as some sort of cost on the sale rather than accept a lower offer on their prized property. It probably still won't work for a large number of properties, but it may be um, more likely to work for others. I do want to point out, um, just to be presenting a full perspective here, that there are plenty of properties selling below asking these days. I have some buyers right now under contract for nearly 10% below asking. It's a little further afield of my usual greater Portland territory, which I think has something to do with it. But personally, that is the lowest number I have seen since 2019. I want to note that when I say we are still averaging over asking in the greater Portland area, that that's not representative of the whole, right? So there's always going to be some properties that are selling more aggressively and some properties selling less aggressively. I think the note I'll end on is a bit of a disclaimer. This is some perspective I find myself sharing with clients a lot lately, but I am always tailoring this advice to the unique combination of that buyer's profile and the specific property we are discussing. This is by no means a comprehensive review of buyer strategy. I could fill 10 more episodes with more nuanced strategy and a dozen examples of real life stories that would all contradict the other. So I hope this info is interesting and useful to you and maybe gives you a different way to think about your own process, but please, please find a good broker and lean into their expertise about your individual situation and in particular about the property you're offering on. My examples here might not apply to you. There is no such thing as a one-size-fits-all strategy for offering on a property. My nugget for potential sellers listening out there 
I have seen plenty of scenarios where sellers get offended by below asking offers, and I get it. It's a valid emotional feeling. But my advice is try your best not to react emotionally to offers you don't like. These buyers, they don't know you. They don't know what the property means to you, and their offer terms might best be thought of as reflective of their own situations, not yours. So keep a level head and remember an offer is always a good thing, no matter the terms. If you don't like it, see if your broker can turn it into something you do like. Don't get emotional and reject it without consideration. That is just silly. And take your broker's advice on what is a reasonable counter and what is likely to blow the deal up because emotional offense can go both ways. And in general, anytime you counter, you risk losing the buyer. And that's just a fact. Sometimes even a reasonable counter can give the buyer a minute to rethink their wants and needs and decide, actually, never mind. I've had a few people ask me recently, why a podcast? The answer is that I am married to a podcast producer. Nonsensical Productions is my husband, Nathan Tower. He's pretty awesome, and he has a new podcast he's testing right now called Noncasting. It's a micropod featuring three to six minute episodes. I think it's the most brilliant podcast I've ever heard and proof that he is way cooler and smarter than me. Side note, his recording and editing studio is in our basement and it's the most neatly organized space in our whole house. It's a treat when I get to record in there, but since I am married to the producer and he has clients who actually pay him, sometimes I get pushed to our daughter's bedroom, where I am currently recording this sitting at a pint-sized white desk covered in stickers and swiveling in a hot pink toddler-sized chair. It's cute. The microphone is oversized, and that's why I still sound good. Well, that and because my producer is a super talent. Now you know. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. I am beyond thrilled by the analytics on this thing. My last episode was downloaded in 53 different towns and cities and six different countries. I am dying to know who is my one listener in Norway. You've listened to every episode. Who are you? Are you a Mainer? Do you want to be a Mainer? Anyway, thanks for listening, Norway. I've also been receiving a good number of inquiries from people who want to be interviewed, which is super cool. If you're listening out there and you're one of those people, get in touch. If you're a buyer or a seller and you have questions about real estate in Greater Portland, I'm here. I'm here for all your questions. Maybe I should also say, if you have questions about buying and selling anywhere, reach out. At Portside, we are members of Leading Real Estate, which is a qualifying association of top-ranking brokerages all over the world. We have a brilliant relocation specialist at Portside who can pair you with the right broker no matter what you need, no matter where you are. Even you, Norway. The For Real Estate Podcast is a nonsensible production. For more information, please visit www.forrealestatepod.com. And thanks for listening.